One of the most pressing challenges of our generation concerns energy and growing demand for it. It affects almost every aspect of our lives. How we work, how we travel, how we spend our free time, how we design cities, or even how we think about the future of farming. And most of all, it affects our planet. In this podcast, we will talk about the future of energy, what are the biggest challenges for the grid operators, and what are the ideas to meet them that we all, electricity users, will benefit from this. My name is Łukasz Gras and I will be your host for the entire podcast series we called Powering Low Carbon Communities with ABB. Let's start. Let me introduce you, Marco Nunes, Global Marketing Manager for Distribution Automation at ABB. Hello, Marco. Hello, Lukasz. Hello, Pripal. And Pritpal Kajuria, Head of Innovation and uh, Technology at Intel. Nice to meet you guys. Yes, Lucas. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> nice to meet you, gentlemen, and thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have you with me in ABB Podcast. Interesting conversation is ahead of us, I hope. But at the beginning, I have to tell you that I have spent some time over the last few days to understand what virtualization in the energy sector is. And to be honest, I, I think I'm pretty close. So I hope you will explain uh, to me today what this is all about. Imagine that you have elevator pitch, for example, and one and a half minute to tell me in a simple words what virtualization revolution is. What would you say? How to explain what is this specific revolution that your industry is seeing? The concept of virtualization is to virtualize the hardware where the hardware is separated from the applications in a piece of software called a hypervisor is added on the top of the hardware. What hypervisor does, it gives the resources to multiple applications which can run on the top of it. So in this way, each application does not have to see what underlying hardware is. Application sees that it gets all the compute, all the memory, all the networking capabilities, but it is running inside its own environment. What are the benefits of virtualization? It helps end customer to minimize the hardware devices. And because if we have more hardware devices, the probability of more failures there. And then it makes the operation and maintenance very complex process. But by virtualizing hardware, then we minimize the hardware and maximize the resources needed to run a operation center or anywhere uh, in the grid operations. Protection virtualization or virtualization revolution it's just um, another step in the deployment and the convergence of the applications. And from the past, if we look back uh, 100 years ago, we had dedicated electromechanical relays for single functions, and then they were combined in, inside the same switch gear to operate the different uh, needs. And then once then the microprocessor-based protections uh, came to life, then we have been plugging more and more functions inside the, those devices, but again, still for the same, the same 
uh, switch gear or the same bay. And now, uh, in the past years, we have been working on protection centralization, therefore having then those functions in, uh, in a computer layer. Basically, like your iPhone, when you need something more, you can just download from the cloud uh, a new application then. And again, virtualization is just another step in expounding then this, uh, this concept to the substation where a utility then buys a computer and then buys a virtual machine, which is the operating system. And then they can buy different applications from different vendors like you buy apps in your iPhone. And this is basically today the virtualization revolution in the power utilities. Yeah, Marco, I'd like to add one thing here. And uh, Lucas, the originally virtualization started in the data center market. And from there, it evolved to the telecommunication sector. And I think it, it has been used for last 20 plus years in those industries. And I think it is time for this technology to come to the utility sector so the utilities can leverage the capabilities of modern technologies. As Marco mentioned, they can just get the applications and deploy these applications much faster going forward. It's right. And we have seen also power utilities which have been deploying uh, virtualization in their substations already some years ago. Those were mostly for non-real-time applications. And the challenge with the virtual machines was the real-time performance. And this is where then uh, today the market is de developing faster uh, just to make sure that we deliver the performance uh, in terms of speed and reliability. So, so in simple words, uh, virtualization is, um, let's say, the creation of a virtual rather than actual version of something, such as an operating system or a server, a storage device or network resources, right? Yes. Marco mentioned more flexible protection and control devices, and we will dive deeper into this subject in a moment. But uh, first, uh, tell me, why do we need substation protection and control devices? What do they look like now, Marco? Uh, again, protection and control devices are electronic boxes monitoring the power flow through different bays and feeders in the substation. Then for each application, you have dedicated boxes. And they are optimized for the tasks they should perform. Then this optimization then leads also to limitations uh, in terms of CPU power and communication. Therefore, why we need then the substation protection and control devices then is really to make sure that when you have a, a, a breaker in the substation that they operate on time for certain faults uh, which have been prepared in the box. And if the box has been prepared to detect overcurrent faults, then it will operate for overcurrent faults. If the box was not supposed to operate with overvoltage faults, then it will not operate. And if you need then over voltage protection, then you need to change the box to a more flexible one or a stronger one. And uh, again, this is where we we, we are looking for um, protection, centralization, virtualization. Uh, guys, we know how substation protection and control devices look like today. Uh, so uh, the next question is obvious, I think. What they will look like in the future, Marco? Well, they will like like a computer, <laughs> uh, 
really a computer, computer, the ones that you find in data centers, then just direct all, all together and, and that's it. And then what you need is something to feed those computers. Therefore, you need some boxes inside the, the switch gears, which are then converting uh, analog signals to digital signals, uh, which then are sent by communication and broadcasted in, in the network. And then you can have then those servers either in the substation or maybe later on, even outside the substation. Why not? As Marco mentioned, the future substations will have a rack of rugged servers. Okay. Whether uh, we are running a station bus or a process bus, in this case, we are talking about protection and control. We are talking about process bus. So on a process bus, we will have a rack which will be full of rugged server based on the size of the substation, how many protection points are going to be there. So whether it will have a two, three, five rugged servers. And then these ruggeds on the top of these rugged servers, we will have the virtualization software running, the real-time deterministic virtualization software running. And then we start creating virtual machines and start deploying uh, the protection and control software there. In same as then we can have a multiple virtual machines there for redundancy. These virtual machines can communicate to each other. And also these servers will have a HSR PRP networks. And then they are going to communicating with the devices in the field, which Marco mentioned as breakers and uh, other devices that all the, the sample values coming from those uh, devices uh, over the network and will come to this server and then they will be routed to the particular virtual machine that the information will be processed and sent out. So in nutshell, as, as Marco mentioned, it basically looks like a compute infrastructure which we have currently in data centers and other places, but this is specially designed for the substation market. So what it will take utilities to it will help them build a flexible, scalable infrastructure. The second thing is that we will be aggregating the normalizing the data from multiple points into this infrastructure. Then it will provide the utilities the capabilities to use analytics for greater visibility and insight and some for some additional value proposition. Okay, but I'm still Curious, what applications will they run in substation in the future, Marco? In the primary substations are to all the conventional protection functions that you need, then from overcurrent to overvoltage, frequency, load shading, burst bar protection, arc protection, then line differential, line distance, really all, all those uh, famous uh, protection functions, and there are more than 100 or 200 um, need applications actually. When you look into secondary uh, applications, uh, then those are a bit different, and those need also to include the smart meter integration, also monitoring and diagnostics, uh, voltage regulation, uh, and different needs, but again, similar architectures. So, as Marco mentioned, we have existing applications which will go both on primary and secondary substations on this standardized hardware. But what is after that looking, and what I'm seeing is that uh, they're talking to some of the utilities, 
is how do they use the artificial intelligence or federated analytics? How they apply those kind of technologies going forward? As we saw these applications are being virtualized and run on the standardized hardware, so all the data which is being gathered from the sensors, merging units, power interface units is coming there. So now all the data will be residing in a single database there at the edge. In uh, now it gives the utilities the power to apply the analytics, machine learning, deep learning, all different technologies to extract more intelligence out of the data have for better visibility uh, going forward, which they did not have the access today. Okay, even they are running the applications, but they would never have that consolidated data, consolidated data at one location. Once we do it, we will unleash the power of the analytics. And I think things or use cases which we don't imagine today, those use cases are going to be implemented. And what one of the use cases that for example, uh, what are the characteristics of the various loads on the on the feeder? Utilities can can look at that. You know, is there is a tree touch touching the 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 power line? The using the analytics that can be analyzed. So the possibilities are going to be infinite as we go and build this new infrastructure. Okay. Uh, Marco, uh, what information we need to bring into the system in order to put on next level operational efficiency? The, the centralized protection or virtualized protection then needs only current and, and voltage and then some IOs coming from the base. Then from all just this basic information, then the system can extrapolate many information. And then, therefore, also start analyzing the different bays and the power flows in many directions, and then even start optimizing the protection functions and even settings in the future. For example, if if you activate the analytics and you start monitoring how uh, how a motor uh, or a generator behaves, also in the in the network then you can really start optimizing the settings and even start monitoring the health of the system. And this is also the same for, for the network. If you start monitoring that, okay, then there are some conditions which are changing based on the temperature or uh, if there is a storm, then you can start changing automatically the settings also of the system protect, to protect the network or even having uh, advanced analytics to predict that there is a risk of wildfires, then if you start seeing that, okay, that the voltage now is dropping here, that means there is a tree uh, close by it. And this is the kind of information that uh, we, we, we can uh, extrapolate from, from the system. Thank, thank you, Marco. So, so Lucas, let me kind of look from a different perspective. And from overall utility perspective, how they get kind of a value for operation and maintenance side. Okay. When they deploy this kind of centralized protection and control system uh, on, a, on a standardized hardware, what they are going to do is that they're going to reduce the number of devices in the substation. Based on our work with one of the utility, uh, where Intel and ABB working together, 
we have seen the utility listing that will have a 50% reduction in devices and there will be 76% reduction in operation and maintenance cost. Why that number 76% um, reduction in operation and maintenance cost? Because in future, we will not have to roll trucks every time we need to configure the system, we need to add another production and control application or another application because that all can be done from a centralized location from the utilities control center. So I think that that is going to be another side of the big operational and maintenance saving for the utilities going forward with this kind of infrastructure or a modern infrastructure. Let's jump to the next level of uh, virtualization revolution. I really wonder who and how should manage the electric power grid changes, integration with uh, these massive loads that are coming to the grid, Marco? Massive, massive loads to the grid um, are not a massive challenge for the, the virtualization. Then I will I'll say that the, the configuration of the networks, the design of the networks, and the different power flows at different times of the year, then those are really the challenges today. And uh, the more then the, the utilities start integrating uh, decentralized generation, then the more unpredictable then the behavior of the, the network will be. Uh, that's the reason why then they need to have a flexible system that the, the more you installed solar plants, wind farms, uh, then all, all those uh, additional uh, generation uh, then will change the the settings of the network. And, and that's the reason why you need this flexibility. I think, uh, Lucas, if we look at, as Marco touched on, this distributed generation, as utilities are going to get, get more and more distributed generation because of the renewables coming on the rooftops, parking lots, uh, are in, in their in their territory or in their net network. So what it is going to create is going to create a demand and generation imbalances. As Marco mentioned, that network becomes unpredictable because because that's what happens. Because as sun disappears or cloud clouds come in, and the the production of electricity at the edge will drop significantly maybe 20 30 50 percent you know in one that happens and it will be very unpredictable you know where it is happening when it is happening in in that will basically push the demand back to the to the utility they need to generate more electricity and that that unpredictability in the network uh, is going to make things difficult and by deploying this kind of technology at the edge what utilities can start looking at, uh, start profiling each feeder, okay, using the um, analytics, uh, doing the load desegregation, that how much uh, basically renewables are attached, how much batteries are attached, how many cars are attached to their grid. So they start gathering all that information and based on that information, they start making the decisions locally Inside the sub inside the substations. I mean, one one example I always give that each feeder in future will act like a microgrid, and in order to control that 
microgrid, all the things have to work together. Protection and control has to do its job along with other applications sitting on the top of it on the station bus. Uh, they have to do their job or what in other simple words we can just, we can say that we need a, a edge ADMS where all the decisions to stabilize that feeder have to be done locally. Um, so I think that, that that's kind of a future we see and that's how all these various loads and generation, distributed generation has to be managed. So uh, how the infrastructure should be like in the future to be ready for additional application that will support autonomy of the operations? As we mentioned then, today the system on the edge, then uh, we are combining the protection functions into virtualized architectures, but at the same time, we are setting up the system also to collect data. And today, we, we don't have yet enough data, uh, but it is a process ongoing and uh, trying to elaborate uh, and to create this artificial intelligence uh, to, for the future. We need to build this uh, data-centric-like infrastructure in the substations using these uh, rugged servers which are certified for the substation market. So one rack of servers running all the station bus, another rack of server servers running all the protection and control. And that's what, as Marco was mentioning, kind of a virtualizing the protection and control. So that that's what is, is going to happen in going, adding to, again, uh, what Marco said, we will have more data coming at the edge and we can basically analyze the data for greater visibility, insight, and faster decision-making. I see. So now uh, give me a brief history lesson to, to show us the context of all these changes we are talking about. Uh, protection and control devices are technologies that must evolve to improve reliability and, and security. How did they evolve by far? Well, it is evolving faster. If you consider the first electromechanical relays, then they they born uh, more than 100 years ago. And it took more than 70 years uh, from the electromechanical uh, to, to reach then the microprocessor-based ones. Then since the, the 80s, then we are still working with the same microprocessor-based relays. Therefore, the technology is is pretty pretty similar. Therefore, we are just utilizing more powerful chips, just to combine more and more features in, inside the same chips. Uh, now, again, that as the technology is evolve, evolving even faster, uh, but not only in terms of protection devices, but also in terms of communication. And this is really the, 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 the wider uh, or the biggest evolution, which then enabled uh, today those next uh, virtualization architectures. Let's talk about uh, the fourth industrial revolution uh, a little bit. Advances in technology are making everything smaller. Uh, instead of a suitcase full of uh, all sorts of equipment, uh, we have one smartphone. Tell me, which benefits did microprocessor bring to protection and control devices? 
in this new infrastructure, when it will be running in this virtualized world, we can combine both real-time and non-real-time applications. So like, a, for example, the protection and control applications are real-time applications, but we might have some, you know, the security work, we have some analytics which we need to do it, okay, some backups we need to do it. So those are non-real-time workloads. So this system will provide that capability that you can run both real-time and non-real-time workloads, but without affecting the performance of the real-time workloads. That is the key uh, differentiate, differentiation between the current versus the future CPU-based based systems. And along with that, it brings that um, the centralized management, okay, where, you know, the utilities can, can manage all their applications from a central location. Like, for example, uh, ABB delivers a new application uh, for protection and control, and utility does not have to go and roll any trucks. They can just create another virtual machine in the infrastructure, install this new software into that virtual machine, you know, put it put into that basically a test mode in in, a, in simple terms, running in parallel with the existing uh, uh, application, and test it for two months, three months, six months. And when utilities are confident, then they can say, okay, I make this one as a primary, take the old one you know, pause it or make it as a secondary. And so that, that's kind of it, the, the flexibility this new infrastructure will provide uh, to the utilities. Thanks for the answer. And uh, two more questions yet. The first one, what are the future challenges uh, from the utilities point of view, Marco? Well, the, the challenges from utilities are like garages today. Then uh, when you are... Man owner of a garage and then you have been used to repair and modify uh, gasoline cars and then you, you start seeing okay now there are more and more electrical cars in the market then you start wondering okay what, what should i do now and it is almost the same also for utilities therefore they, they see that there are more and more uh, technologies coming up out in the market and this is this high tot convergence means that they need also to uh, upgrade and make evolving and train also the, their workforce to understand and also to accept uh, and also dive into this new technology. Then uh, if you look at operators in the past when they were wiring and creating logics, uh, automatic switching systems, then they were just wiring one cable to another uh, uh, device and today, this wiring doesn't exist anymore. This wiring today is is digital, and the more and more we go to the front in the future, then more and more of those IT competences will be needed, even for the operators in the substations. The challenges for utilities are increasing day by day. As, as the penetration of the renewables increases, it's going to create a huge challenge for utilities with respect to domain and generation instabilities. And I think we touched earlier also uh, on, on, on it, you know. Um, 
the unpredictability of the utility network will become a bigger problem um, going going forward going forward in on the top of it basically what we see is that uh, the low current faults the faults which are generated by the uh, the renewables at the edge of the grid and those faults cannot be detected using the traditional protection and control applications and i think they will require kind of a machine learning deep learning technologies uh, to, uh, to go and analyze a lot of data understand what is happening and the report that back or uh, take the corrective actions kind of a, that's kind of a, another challenge which is going to emerge for the, emerging for the utilities the the last one is another one is that current infrastructure is not scalable to meet the complexities of the grid going forward and i think yeah, so in in order to deal with all those complexities we need a scalable infrastructure as we discussed in, in earlier a, a data centric infrastructure running at the edge providing that flexibility scalability centralized ma centralized management and security so utilities can meet the needs faster going forward Thanks for the uh, interesting conversation. We learned a lot of interesting things. I keep my finger crossed for, for the smooth implementation of virtualization revolution. Have a nice day and see you in the next episodes of our podcast. Thank you very much, Lucas. Thank you, Pritpal. Thank you, Marco. My guests were Marco Nunes, Global Marketing Manager for Distribution Automation at ABB and Pritpal Kajuria, Head of Innovation and Technology at Intel. <laughs>